Lost World Minute, the Minute by Bender podcast, nearly 997 sequel Jurassic Park, one minute time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're here to discuss Minute 69 of the Lost World and uh, a new week and some new news coming out from Jurassic mm-hmm. World Fallen Kingdom. We have a six second little teaser that uh, came out during the past week, which uh, shows Owen scratching the uh, underside of the jaw of a baby raptor. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Um, it's basically, I mean, that's basically all it is. It's basically uh, Owen looking at the raptor, smiling and kind of chuckling and or giggling to himself. And then he reaches in and scratches the underside of the chin. It's adorable. Mm. And I know I hate to use the word raptor and adorable together, but <laughs> it is adorable. Yeah, it's all. It's... Remember, they are lethal at eight months. Oh yeah, yeah. Which uh, might be a sign he's wearing a like a falconer's gauntlet on his mm-hmm. left arm, which um, has been one little thing going around. Perhaps we might see the uh, a similar scene to Tim meeting the juvenile Velociraptor in the first in Jurassic Park, the novel, where the uh, mm-hmm. animal jumps up onto his arm. Um, yes, there's definitely been a spec point of speculation is that. Uh, this baby raptor, whether it's baby blue and it's being watched through a video screen by Pratt, kind of a la Ben uh, Hildebrand crash light in Dress Park 3, or whether it's a flashback scene, or whether this is even possibly Blue's offspring. Mm. I know I've speculated at that point that it's possibly Blue's offspring. Yeah, it's a it's a pity because uh, the video was posted to Twitter, it's been heavily compressed and it's not... It's not HD by far, but... Um, no. Because we're, we're even speculating when it first came out whether it was actual CG or a hand puppet. Um, mm-hmm. And it came out, it was confirmed, uh, ILM came out and confirmed it was a digital effect. Yeah, yeah. But I reckon, so, I still I still reckon, because we've seen, we know there was a hand puppet scene in production, because Chris is definitely reacting to something there. It's not the usual reaction you'll get to a bit of green screen or something whether the puppeteer's done yeah. something he wasn't expecting and he's got a chuckle out of him or um it's that same amazed look that he has on his face the first time sarah harding looked at the uh baby stegosaurus yeah that kind of just on bewildered glee you know yep yeah that's it and whether this is the first time meeting with possibly blue as an infant um one thing to sort of suggest that is uh it seems a little bit pudgy the animal where we know mm-hmm. or we sort of speculate that blue was a little bit fatter out of the other raptors in jurassic world i think although i think that was just a cg issue but um yeah. there's there's that, con- that fans will throw connections around left right and center but um mm-hmm. it's it's hard to hard to think if this is a flashback or not because apparently chris is wearing the uh the owen brady costume that we see later on um, from parts behind the scenes stuff of Fallen Kingdom, so um, there's just there's little things, little hints left and right that sort of lean to one thing and and not the other, and vice versa. The same with the background, mm-hmm. which has got a lot of to- people talking. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really the point of marketing. So they really uh, got us. They really did a good job, and I, I'm just blown away by the uh, effect that ILM did because the CGI in Jurassic World wasn't the best, but this I would have placed big bucks that it was had been a full practical effect with just some CGI enhancement. Hmm. 
Which is odd, considering I'd go to so much effort for something like this, which may or may not even be in the film, or because a lot of that stuff they shot for the Ben Hildebrandt and Eric interacting on the camera, we only seen snippets of that. A lot of it was just audio coming through the video camera speakers. Um, mm-hmm. But here, yeah, here, this it's sort of it's a low down shot on a bit of an angle, so it seems to just be like someone's holding a camera, filming Owen interacting with the raptor. Whether or not it's um, Omar Sy's character, um, Barry, I think his name was. I hope so, because yeah. he really needs more to do, because it was disappointing <laughs> how little he had to do in Jurassic World. No, I liked the character of Barry, but apparently he's not going to be in Jurassic World, or Fallen Kingdom. Until until we see a trailer, or we sit down that movie theater, because... Um, oh, I'm bad with names... Jurassic shirt guy from the compound from the control room was said not to return either, but oh Larry, but apparently he was in the cast that was released or something. And although that was eventually, like someone said that was a misprint or something, but yeah, um, that's what I heard too. Yeah, because even getting back to this, like the people are saying it's the visitor center, the um, Cretaceous Cafe sort of wall on the mm-hmm. the back side there, but it sort of doesn't. There's this I, there's Key parts of it not there. The parasaurs aren't there, which you can see in the um, art or in the actual thing when the kids are in there. Um, the wall, the height of the wall doesn't look right because you've got that sun shining in just above the the top of the mm-hmm. vines there. And there's also a bit of a concrete wall coming up to meet the glass underneath Owen's leg there as well. So it's, it's one way or the other. But... Mm-hmm. Fans, we can all speculate. No one's right, no one's wrong. Just <laughs> calm down. <laughs> My idea is that he's uh, viewing video of Blue when she was a, in, when she was an infant in her nursery. So there's going to be some kind of not a full copy, carbon copy of Tim when he first meets the baby Velociraptor in the nursery, but something like that. You know? Yeah, it's always been loosely, very loosely in some cases as a reference mm-hmm. to what's come before in the novel, um, which also and could possibly give us the um, the other three raptor pack babies sort of uh, rolling around on the ground like that famous bit of crash art, which yeah, would be good. We do know that, def- that Bayona has definitely been trying to uh, incite the novel in this movie. He's trying to bring the spirit of the novel to the screen and really return the uh, movies back to their roots, Yeah, I think. Yep. Having little parts like that in here will be good. We'll be able to see them on the screen for the first time. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the um, the Falconer's Gauntlet is sort of an interesting one because you wouldn't think in the training of the Raptors um, it'd be necessary for them to jump up on. Maybe it's just to, in case they snap at him or something, he can use his left arm to sort of in defence. Well, that's kind of what makes me think of uh, the nursery scene with Tim from the first novel. Mm. The first thing that the raptor does when it sees Tim is jump into its ar- jump into his arms and sink so its thinking, claws in. I mean, yeah. yeah. So the uh, arms would be to avoid being kind of s- slashed up by the claws, like a falcon, which would a falconer's uh, gauntlet prevents. You know. Mm. And this this thing's definitely got some scratches on it already too. So um, mm-hmm. it's been used before for exactly that purpose. Yeah, exactly. I suppose one other thing with it, um, with the CG model as well, it's it's got um, one thing that that certainly 
made me think it was CG was the fact that a lot of things are moving. Its nostrils are flaring, sort of the, the skin on its snout where the nasal cavity would be is sort of puffing in and out as well um, because you can't do CG without making every muscle move. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, But it's also got... It looks like a velvety skin it's got on it as well, but it might be just the, the compression on the video. Yeah, I think it might be that. But even then, I mean... Stangerson Studios proved that you can do everything that you just mentioned with a animatronic in The Lost World, and we brought it up when that minute when we covered that minute. Mm-hmm. The T Rex could move, uh, dilate its eyes. It could move its nostrils. The T Rex could kind of like snarl the lips a bit. Mm. I mean, we know that the, that animatronics can do that. So that's what made me uh, made me think that it was a practical effect. Yeah. Well, you only got to look and at sort of how they anim- animated some of the puppets in Jurassic Park as well, like yeah, even exactly. as far back back then. Like, I'm pretty sure none of the Dilophosaurus shots were CG. It was all practical. The whole oh, it was all practical. Yeah. So, and that thing's doing the same thing, sort of mm-hmm. breathing and looking really good. So, and this is 20 years after the Lost World, so. That's uh, that's what makes me think that at this point they can shrink down the technology that they use in the adult raptors and adult rexes. Exactly. And shrink them down to baby size, you know? Yep. I mean, there's children's toys these days that almost come within Stan Winston Studio uh, <laughs> quality. Maybe not quality in latex skin that covers them, but quality of the mechanics and where they can move, you know? Mm, yep. Yep. So yeah, that's that's come out. We've um, also had a couple of slight, um, or like it's only been one, but it's been shared everywhere of the uh, just sort of a fade in, fade out of the Jurassic Park or the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom logo mm-hmm. with the uh, sort of the ash and debris yeah. floating around in front of it, which I reckon yeah. that'd look fantastic in 3D. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it was. What it does is this the fade in, fade out, fade out, and while the Jurassic World logo is there, you see these sparks flying up from the side. Which mm. turned, which turned slowly become ash, which I thought was a really cool effect. Yep, and then life finds a way, sort of mm-hmm. appears in there as well. Which I think some people are saying, is that it's going to be that's like the first five seconds of the trailer that's coming, because someone didn't Matthew or someone asks um, to keep playing the video or something. I'm not sure. Okay, I might be I might be imagining I, that. <laughs> I haven't heard that. <laughs> All right. So yeah, by the uh, by next week's show, we might have a trailer or a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's this, the, this clip here, the, the Raptor clip, definitely um, seems viral for marketing. Um, again, whether or not it's actually in the film at all, um, it's definitely got the fandom talking. Um, I'd love maybe one or two other little bits like this mm-hmm. in the lead up instead of say a teaser to the teaser like we did last time. Just a couple of little videos like this, and then just trailer, bang, go. Oh, that would be really cool uh, to get a like a six-second clip of um, them trying to lure rec- uh, the T-Rex back to captivity, putting out a goat, putting a goat out there with a bunch of guys gathered around with um, tranquilizer guns, and all you hear is the thum, thum, you know, the thumping of the footsteps. Oh, could you just just imagine? 15 to 30 seconds of shaky cam cutting between people yelling and screaming, get her in the cage, or she's she's there, get the gate closed, or something like that, and not mm-hmm. not just yeah. have have not see her, but just 
hear people running and sort of scared shitless, and then at the end you just hear the roar as the gate as a gate latches closed or something. Oh. Maybe just <laughs> yeah, just yeah, just little like if this is a flashback, then again it's just something like this that we didn't really cover in Jurassic World, and it's just sort of building. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Just just show me something that happened between <laughs> Jurassic Park and Jurassic <laughs> World on on New Blur. Yeah. That's all I want. Show us Wu landing on island after the evacuation or something. All right. Um, nothing else you wanted to bring up for the trailer. No, I think we're good. All right, ready to get into 69. Sure. As we ended minute 68 of the Lost World, Ryan was telling Nick how he was here to hunt the Tyrannosaur. As we start minute 69, Roland then goes on about the chap 20 years ago that climbed Everest without any oxygen and came down almost dead. The people asked, why'd you go up there to die? And the guy replied, I didn't, I went up there to live. 68 minutes and 12 seconds we cut back to the stream, where Ian's helping Kelly come up the bank. Ian looks over his shoulder and notices Ludlow behind them, and they fall into step beside each other. Ian tells Ludlow that he hasn't had a chance to wish him luck on his latest business venture, but they're off to a promising start. 68 minutes and 39 seconds, after Ludlow tells Ian a prepared speech, sounding like Hammond, Ian comes back with taking dinosaurs off this island as the worst idea in a long sad history of bad ideas, and that he's going to be there when he learns it. 68 minutes and 49 seconds we cut to a wide shot as the group walks through an open grassy plain following a tree line, and the score picks up. Cloud-covered mountains can be seen in the background. And as we end the minute, an animal bellowing can be heard from somewhere off in the distance. Roland and RJ unshow their rifles and look back in the direction of the roar. And this ends minute 69 of The Lost World. Alright, so we opened up here where we finished last week with Roland asking Nick if he remembers that chap from about 20 years ago. Which, mm-hmm. where the minute ended, seemed a little bit odd, but uh, as we get into this minute... We get the rest of it. Roland forgets his name, but he uh, explains he climbed Everest without oxygen and came down almost dead. They asked him, why did he go up there to die? And the man replied, I didn't. I went up there to live. That man was Reinhold Messner. Messner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he went up there with his partner, Peter Habler. 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 Peter Habler. And... Um, Back in uh, May 8th, 1978, they uh, both climbed up there, went up um, without supplemental oxygen, climbing Mount Everest, which mm-hmm. um, thought was thought to be impossible at the time. And um, those two went up there and got back down without dying, obviously. And um, as Roland here, it sort of alludes to the fact that um, they are both really accomplished climbers, mountain climbers, and... Um, Doing something like that was just to to live again, um, to get that to get that excitement back again, because sort of relating here to Roland as well, we mm-hmm. know that Roland was bored with hunting. He'd said it himself back in that cutscene, um, yeah. And sort of being able to come on this hunt with a creature he hadn't been able to hunt before, mm-hmm. is just sort of give like a shot in the arm of adrenaline, sort yeah. of, sort of like an older person buying a motorcycle again or a fast car after getting into their later later stages of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, even though that it was both uh, Habler and Messner that went up 
the uh, mountain. It's clearly um, Messner that Roland is talking about here. And looking at his biography on Wikipedia, uh, the guy was a is a big time naturalist. I keep saying was. He's still alive. <laughs> uh, he, he's a big time naturalist who uh, was really in who and still is really into playing by nature's rules a bit. So and that was really his commitment was to climb Everest the natural way is what he put it when he decided to make the climb. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just the Lost World's influence or if he really said it, but from what I'm finding is that Messner really did say the quote when he was asked why he went up there to die, he responded with, I didn't go up there to die, I went up there to live. Mm. It makes you wonder too, like, he's, um, Reinhold's 73 at the moment and Peter's sort of 75, so... Two two guys that have been sort of hitting the um the mountains pretty hard and all that are still sort mm-hmm. of alive and well now today. But as we said last week, it's sort of twenty years ago from when the Lost World was uh, made was um seventy eight so or seventy seven so um he mm-hmm. was on 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 point with the the date and I have no doubt they um they use that quote as well. But so sort of Nick. Nick sort of looks at him for a moment and um, slows his pace before Rowan then sort of continues on, which is interesting because in the actual the shooting script, Nick actually replies to that comment from him and says, yeah, the difference is the mountain didn't have to die, which <laughs> is sort of one last little diggy gets at Rowan here. Mm-hmm. Which is actually kind of wrong there. They've, uh, the Tibetan government has actually started considering to... Um, disallow climbers for on Everest because there's some of the places become so littered with trash and dead bodies and corpses that it's becoming a real eyesore and it's this international treasure. Hmm. It's the tallest mountain on the world from sea level. Yeah. No? And it's it's possibly a sign of the times. Like I know there's parts of the Great Barrier Reef over here that are starting to be locked up from divers and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um just a couple of weeks ago, the uh, local tribesmen around uh, Ayers Rock or Uluru have uh, said as of February next year, that's it, no more climbing the rock. Um, yeah. Similar sort of thing, just because of injuries that happen and um, all that sort of stuff, they just, they're just they just going to shut it off and no one's going to be able to do it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real shame that you can't climb Everest, but it's also a real shame that this international treasure has to be sullied just for people's, uh, I don't know, essentially ego trip. Mm. Yep. <laughs> I was, I was reading a funny, a funny, uh, one of those word uh, boxes, I guess you call them. I'm not really sure what to call them. It was a picture of, it was a word, it was a p- captioned image that said that every dead body on Everest was once an extremely motivated person. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Well, that's that's the thing, especially up there. Like people die and people stay there. They don't normally bring them back. Yeah, they they don't bring the bodies back. They mm. they freeze and they turn into uh, corpsicles. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's just a sad state of affairs. Like you only got to look back again. I'm not exactly sure when, but I'd say probably twenty to twenty years ago or something, where stuff like the pyramids you're no longer allowed to climb up on them. That's all off limits. Mm-hmm. Um, other other sort of around the world monuments and that like that. There's just mainly because of stupid people doing stupid things, but mm-hmm. that just wrecks it for everyone else. But 
Exactly. It's a shame that stupid people have to ruin stuff for everybody. Yeah. Yep. We cut back to the stream. We've seen Roland and Nick crossing in the previous minutes, where uh, mm-hmm. Ian just crosses and helping Kelly along. And there's nothing to spark it, but he sort of looks over his shoulder and notices Ludlow coming up behind him, and um, the, those two start sort of falling into step and talking to each other. Where uh, Ian says, hey, I haven't had a chance to congratulate you on your new business venture. Uh, It's off to a promising start. (laughs) Uh, The the ever sarcastic Ian, Malcolm. Yeah, (laughs) yep. um, Which is weird that he sort of left it to here where, I suppose before they were setting up uh, just the meeting of the two camps and the fact that they've got to go into the village. But Mm -hmm. um, Ludlow replies to him, my team is intact, Doctor. I'm sorry for the loss of your man. Which is a little bit of humility there from mm-hmm. Ludlow, um, but then he then he goes on. Uh, you know, it's very easy to criticise someone who generates an idea, someone who assumes all risk, uh, who puts everything out on the and then he's sort of cut off by Malcolm coming over. And mm-hmm. um, this is when you try to sound like Hammond, it all just comes off as a hustle. Uh, they mm-hmm. say talent skips a generation, but hey, I'm sure your kids will be sharp as tacks, which <laughs> <laughs> which just which is- another dig. <laughs> It's very true, though. I mean, Ludlow's little speech here sounds very reversed, or he sounded uh, practiced, I guess you'd call it. Mm. He sounds like he sounds like uh, he's been waiting for somebody to bring it up to him all night, and he's just been saying it over and over and over again in his head, some way to justify the fact this entire venture, you know. Well, I'm sure there was a lot of people on the board or just at InGen that were sort of against his idea to start with. Um, just, no, nah, we've had, we've got the lawsuits and that from people that died on the island before and here you come mm-hmm. along and decide you want to open up, reopen up the idea of dinosaurs and people. No fences this time. <laughs> so, but it's just, it's just great here how Malcolm sort of cuts him off before he... um where he sort of says um, someone who puts everything out on the line where he's not really he's he's put his money out on the line and mm-hmm. the lives of those in the team the hunters but he's um, he's pretty safe at the moment in his little command group there even though uh, Roland just sort of dressed him down mm-hmm. back at camp mm-hmm. yeah Ludlow then replies that uh, Hammond's reach exceeded his grasp where Ludlow's does not and then Ian again taking dinosaurs off this island is the worst idea in a long, sad history of bad ideas. And he leans into Ludlow and says, oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be there when you learn that. <laughs> and he is. Which, it's sort of... Hammond's reach exceeding his grasp. Well, we don't... Okay, the, to decide to close Jurassic Park San Diego and move down to the Destination Island Resort... Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't really what exceeded Hammond's grasp. It was just the park and the automation, really, because that's what failed the park. But where he, Ludlow's under the impression that by sticking to that original idea in San Diego, um, it's a small area, it's a small venue with a small amount of animals on site. Um, What can go wrong? Ludlow just lowers his head and uh, shakes the comment off. And we talked about it when we discussed uh, Sandy, the Jurassic Park San Diego project and when Ludlow was giving his little spiel to the board and the investors is that uh, San Diego was a lot more safer than the original Jurassic Park 
design that they had built. Mm. Simply, yep. simply because, I mean, first of all, they had the concrete moats that were, looked wider. The fence, the fences were smaller. They were bringing back only herbivores originally. You know. Hmm. Well, in hindsight, or looking at the whole, whole project. The biggest risk to anyone would be this coming to the island to secure the animals that they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, again, why why doesn't InGen headquarters have DNA records that they can just have a little lab and make the animals they need in house? But um, it must have been cheaper to go and put this hunt on and go and fetch the animals. But plus, as we see in Jurassic Park three, it's possible they just didn't have the infrastructure to do it. Che- Cheaply, I'm sure uh, Isla Sorna alone was probably a pretty penny to set up and all that automated robotic work that was uh, hatching the dinosaurs, you know? There might be one other thing, and I've only just thought of it too, that sort of stopped them, and that was the uh, sort of government regulations and all that. In the novel, mm-hmm. In the novel, the whole reason they went to Costa Rica was to be away from the sort of the American government and mm-hmm. the UN and that sort of thing where they can conduct their research somewhat in private without um, fear of recourse. It's, it hasn't been really talked about or mentioned in the films at all, but if you follow that same sort of idea, then it, ex- it ex- sort of explain how Jurassic World was able to get up and get going again in international waters off Costa Rica, how, mm-hmm. how here they've had to come here to harvest animals um, over growing more at San Diego. But it's interesting, the shooting script here too, these two scenes were reversed. Um, we had Ian talking to Ludlow first and then the Nick and Roland scene, um, mm-hmm. which was reminiscent we brought up in an earlier minute where Burke and Dieter are discussing the compi and um, the trackway from the wrecks where Roland goes off on a little hunt to find a nest. And there's also, also the scenes described as bright moonlight um, which explains sort of last minute where we see the uh, the group leaving the coast behind and it's sort of somewhat lighter. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas here it's sort of pitch black again, mainly because it's rain, like heavy rain, and the dense clouds would keep the moonlight out. It's interesting. A lot of the um, a lot of the shooting script describes about the night scenes being lit up by a bright moon, mm. which I find is interesting in and of itself because. Um, Rain is always considered more atmospheric, and that was pro- it may have been a decision by Yanis Kaminsky, the uh, cinematographer, to bring the rain in. I've always kind of thought that um, full moon or full moons or moonlight was always a bit more dramatic or spooky in a way. Mm. It's almost like that typical Halloween, you know. Well, we sort of get that towards the end of the film with the camp the open field and then into the mm-hmm. worker village where, okay, you'd say it's clearly a, a bright moon. Um, it's more stage lighting or set lighting, but um, unfortunately, but it is a lot brighter than what we see in these sort of shots where it's dark, a lot darker and yeah. raining heavily, mm-hmm. which also helps you sort of, uh, you can keep to a tight set you don't have to worry about hiding things that may be mm-hmm. may be visible like stage lights and everything else <laughs> but uh we cut here clearly today and uh a wide shot of a rolling grassy plain uh, the survivors mm-hmm. are walking left to right along a tree line and we get that score uh, pick up nicely um, yeah 
And I love this shot here because this is what the Lost World is about. Mm. It's this monumentous, or, or I'm sorry, monumental uh, nature, and humans are just so tiny before it, you know? Yeah, you've got the large rocky mountain mountains behind them, um, which are just covered in fog, like you'd get after rain in the tropics, mm-hmm. just at um, low depression. And it's just, as we sort of said before too, this is sort of up above Caffey's Beach area as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're still filming in that sort of area. And one one thing I noticed here too, which is a bit odd, um, the first half of the group are running as they go up over that little bit of a rise where the last second mm-hmm. group isn't. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if this shot was also reversed because we uh, cut to the front of the line where they're about to head back into the forest and you could hear a roar from behind them off mm-hmm. in the distance and sort of Roland and RJ whip around with their guns on the ready where no one else really does. Burke sort of just looks over his shoulder and keeps on walking. Um, but Roland gives them sort of a hurry-up wave and they start running towards the forest. So I wonder if that happened mm-hmm. and then it cut, should have cut to the uh, the wide shot. Well, it's, a pos- it's definitely a possibility because... Um... Well, or, I'm sorry, uh, Ian looks back as well a little bit, about as much as Burke does. Yeah. And uh, you can see him holding Kelly closer, and it looks like he's about to take off mm-hmm. running, but then we cut to the next shot of them in the woods. Yeah. And it's never explicitly said that it's a T-Rex roar. That was going to be my next question. It's supposed to be implied. <laughs> yeah, because that was, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Um, whether, it's, whether it's a sign of, okay, your first sort of hint that the Tyrannosaurs are following them um, or if the Tyrannosaurs just found their camp <laughs> and maybe where the baby was ch- chained up because they'd have to have a bit of scent around it mm-hmm. blood from the broken leg and that sort of thing as well um, or if it's right. something else it's a very mysterious roar because we never hear the T-Rex actually make a sound like that in any other scene let's just say it's a Spinosaur <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, really, it's only it's only that or the um, was that red one in Alice Alisaur in Jurassic Park Three? Yeah, uh, Ceratosaurus. Ceratosaurus, yep. So really, it could only I saw. I suppose it doesn't have to be a carnivore either. But mm-hmm. you'd think carnivores would give that sort of guttural roar more than what a herbivore would. But um, but it gets it definitely gets their attention and it gets them moving anyway. Um. But it's also, in the uh, shooting script, the scene is described as dawn dissolving um, mm-hmm. the black night of sky, a black sky of the night. So, again, where it sort of looks dark and gloomy here, this is sort of early, early morning. Um, yeah, but instead, we've clearly cut to more of a late afternoon shot by this time. This seems, because the next shot we get of them in the redwoods, it's, the sun seems a bit lower in the sky. Yeah. And then when Peter gets charmed, it's clearly sunset. Yep. All right. Um, and, of course, the minute sort of ends here after they hear the roar and uh, head into the back into the forest again. So, mm-hmm. And if it's on 69, Dave, you want to bring up before we get out of here? I think we're good. All right. All right, guys. Let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com. 
can email feedback to the Lost World Minutes at gmail.com, Facebook, The Lost World Minutes, Twitter at The Lost World Minutes, and Instagram, The Lost World Minutes. Easy to remember. Yeah, yeah, very easy to remember. Right. <laughs> uh, David, thank you for joining me for this recording. And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Goodbye. Talk to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, life.